Hello, my name is Andreina. And my name is Gabriela. And this is Wicks and Candles, a podcast about two sisters and their obsession with period films. We want to dig into our favorite films and review them, find out why we love them, how they shaped us, what effect do they have on us. Join us on a trip through palaces and manors, balls and tea parties, and a lot of dresses, carriages, and of course, wigs and candles. In this episode, Sense and Sensibility. Gabby, the most classic of classic period films, a Jane Austen adaptation. Yes, and we are talking about the 1995 adaptation of her novel Sense of Sensibility, and we know for period film lovers, Jane Austen is always present, so this is going to be quite exciting. Yeah, it is. And uh, this is a, it's a beautiful film and I can't wait to talk about it. So before we start the discussion, you want to share with us some facts about the film? Sure. So this is the 1995 adaptation of Jane Austen's novel. The novel itself was published in 1811. The film was directed by Ang Lee from Taiwan. And produced by uh, Lindsay Doran and Sidney Pollack. I mentioned those names because it's, it's going to be interesting for our discussion later on that the producers are American. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, the screenplay was adapted by Emma Thompson, um, who was pushed to do this by the producer, Lindsay Doran. Um, the film was made um, in... 65 days, I found this out in our research, and it became an international success. It was nominated for many international film awards and won many, um, including the Oscar for Best Screenplay yeah, for Emma Thompson and the Golden Globe for Best Picture. So I don't know if this is still valid up till today, but certainly for a very long while, Emma Thompson has been the only person who has been awarded an Oscar for both writing and acting. This is an interesting piece of trivia <laughs> to this film. Um, so um, also what is interesting about the entire production on the film is that Kate Winslet, who was very young by the time she um, took part in this film, um, was nominated for the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, and she won the BAFTA for Best Actress in a Supporting Role for this film. So this is a short summary of most of the uh, most interesting pieces of information about the film. So I've mentioned already two names about the cast. Uh, so we see Emma Thompson playing the leading role as Eleanor Dashwood. Um, and Kent Winslet as her sister, Marianne Dashwood. We see Hugh Grant as Edward Ferrers. And this is also a nice uh, piece of trivia. When Emma Thompson was writing the screenplay and um, she was writing the character of Edward Ferrers, she immediately thought of Hugh Grant. And she knew that this 
this has to be played by Hugh Grant. So she kind of made that character for him. And, and just to name a few more names that we all love from this scene, um, we also have Alan Rickman playing Colonel Brandon and Imelda Stoughton also playing a role in the film. So it's a, it's a beautiful, very solid and 100% British high-class cast. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> creme de la creme. Um, do you want to go ahead and maybe give us a short summary of the story? Yeah, so uh, thank you, Gabby. Yeah, so um, for people who have read the book, they know the story very well. Um, but we'll we'll do a little summary here for for you know for for the movie. So this is the story of the Dashwood sisters, Eleanor, Marianne, and Margaret. And what says what sets the story in motion is the death of their father, Mr. Dashwood, who leaves everything, including the house where the Dashwood sisters are living, Norland Park, to his son, his first marriage. Um, that son is John Dashwood. However, on his deathbed, he asks John to please look after the sisters and their mom. Um, after all, he has only left them 500 pounds a year and no dowry. So sadly, the Dashwood sister have to move out of the house so John and his wife Fanny can move in. In a charming small house in the country, uh, it's called Barton Cottage. And they settle there hoping to ensure their futures are not too compromised by this move. Um, there they meet uh, Edward Ferris, Fanny's uh, brother and Colonel Brandon. Uh, one day, Marianne goes out for a walk, and she ends up having a little accident and um, falling. And then we have the introduction of another uh, major character, John Willoughby, who literally sweeps her off her feet and carries her into the house. And then after all of the characters are introduced, what follows is Austin, a classic Austin with, you know, a lot of intrigue, humor, heartache, a couple of twists, and of course, uh, finally, uh, uh, a happy ending for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks for that, Nene. And I think um, uh, what you mentioned, yeah, gives us a nice um, hint to start our conversation, um, it is Austin at his best. This book, the entire, the entire story, and I think um, this adaptation is a great uh, homage to one of her most iconic novels. Yeah, yes, um, because the entire production was so excellent. So, how about we start talking about that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I was I was watching the movie. I have seen this movie many times, but but the very first time I watched this, this is the nineteen ninety five adaptation. But I saw it, I believe, for the first time in nineteen ninety six. And by that time, I was living in Quebec, and Quebec City is a very French city. Quebec City in Canada is a you know, the old Quebec, Le Vieux Quebec is a typically French city. And I went to a, a old movie theater who sh that shows uh, movies in the original language. Most movies are shown adapt into French. But I saw this one in the original English and I was just uh, completely swept away. Uh, 
most classic of British films. I mean, he had everything. He had the landscapes. He had the buildings. He had the costumes. Uh, I mean, it was it was you know, and I, I think I think this movie is the one that made me an Anglophile. I like I, I can I admit it. Uh, I was in the middle of Canadian um, of Canadian French. I was like in the middle of the, the peak of French culture in Quebec. But this is the movie that made me realize that I was also an Anglophile. So it was, uh, it was so beautiful. And when I watched it again, I've watched it many times after, but I was watching it. I had to watch it for different reasons. I had to watch the movie with no sound. And that made me focus on the, on the images much more. And what really struck me is how uh, painterly they were. They remind me of classic early uh, 19th century painting. It was really beautiful compositions throughout. Um, So in terms of the settings, you have countryside, you know, the classic views of costume costume dramas, right? Or period film, you have the countryside, you have the fog, early mornings, the the sheep going on, you know, fields. I mean, it's all very um, pastoral. And I think this is actually part of of the movie as well, some of the characters. So everything classic is in this movie in terms of that setting and the views and the landscape. You you are submerged in early uh, 19th century England, like in every detail, and it's beautiful. Very good, Nanny. I think it's I think you you really pinpointed yeah that it really c- contains everything that one associates with nineteenth century England, yeah, um, these hilly landscapes and 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 um, the the foggy atmosphere of some scenes, and I absolutely agree with um, with that view that some of the scenes or most of the scenes are really set up that they really look like a painting, totally. And um, it is really interesting uh, to say that we think this is like the culprit of British uh, 19th century in England, yeah? Because as we mentioned before, many key elements on the entire production um, were taken over by people who were not from England, yeah? So we have a producer's team from America, from the US. We have Lindsay Doring and Sidney Pollack. And we have a Taiwanese director. So if you would only read that, you would say, how do they dare to really make an awesome adaptation in 19th century England? But this is the magic, I guess, of the entire film, that they really managed with their view to transport that to us viewers that we say, this is exactly how I imagine Jane Austen's <laughs> surroundings to have been like. Yeah. Yeah. It is really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the person that I am uh, on that team, of course, but I think the, the person that I'm, that I really, really love because I love his other films is Ang Lee. I mean, what a master 
he is a master director and um, he had done a, a movie called Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. And I think that was the, that was the, the movie that um, led the producers to call on him to direct this one. And you might think, okay, these movies are not at all alike. Uh, you know, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman is in contemporary uh, Taiwan and um, it has nothing to do with Jane Austen or... Um, 19th century society, British society, but what really attracted them was the uh, dynamic between the sisters in that movie and the fact that this movie is about sisters. And I think that was very key. And and uh, another thing, uh, so he brought that sensibility to, to, the, to the directing, you know, but the other thing is, you know, I think a, a lot of what period movies do is create sort of like a myth this is about a representation of culture. This is about kind of myth-making. This is Britain telling this is what we have to offer. This is what we export to the world. They have been extremely successful, obviously, because millions of people around the world love British period films. I mean, the BBC has an entire category of you know costume dramas and masterpiece theater, of course. So this is an export. This is very much done to, for international audiences uh, as much as, uh, you know, uh, domestic audience, like British audiences. So I think the fact that you have two American producers and a Taiwanese director is absolutely fine because they have this external view of, of what they think. <laughs> <laughs> what the viewer expects. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess maybe, I guess maybe some, I don't know, I don't know, here I'm speculating, but perhaps, you know, a, a renewed sense of it. It's like, it is still interesting for them. It's not, they're not jaded. Like, it's still, uh, it's still something that they can see with curios curiosity and admiration. Uh, <laughs> and that they're eager, and that they're eager to consume. Yes, and I think the... While I was re researching for this one, I mean, maybe I have to say I saw the film also back then, maybe also after it was so popular with the Oscars. So when the hype was going on and um, uh, it became so famous. Um, and I have seen the film now again in preparation for our podcast. And while doing the research for the, for, for the entire film, um, um, I heard some interviews and some... Yeah, some interviews with Lindsay Doran saying that she that she loved it, even though she's American. She spent many, many years in England and she loved everything about it. And she loved Jane Austen. So she was also like trying to give that what you're saying. Yeah, This is like, I am a consumer of this export. <laughs> yes. how, how does she put that into, a, into the filmmaking? How she, does she transport that love that she personally feels towards this culture and all these elements how she puts it even through the through the film and interesting also that Ang Lee himself he says up to that moment when he was approached uh, um, to, to do the film he says I, I didn't know anything about I didn't know anything about Jane Austen or England in the 19th century so he had a very unbiased um imagination and a view of okay how do i put this marvelous script into moving pictures yeah. wow yeah yeah and 
a master director. I mean, every frame of this movie. And again, it was interesting to watch it. I mean, I mean, these movies are are uh, are a feast for the eyes and for the ears, right? Because you have these beautiful dialogues and the beautiful accents. With each, everything is appealing to that audience, right? That loves this. Um, and you have the music. Uh, but it was interesting when I was watching it without sound because I could concentrate on the images and the framing of it. Everything was so. Uh, carefully structured and studied uh, where everybody's everybody's place within a scene, within the spaces, uh, so carefully constructed. Yes. And I think this is very important because uh, we've talked about this um, in other episodes. We, we have talked about this in other, or we will talk about this in other episodes. But, you know, when we talk about period film, we're talking about societies that had different rules and from, uh, you know, depending on class and position in society. So all of this is very important. It's like it's more important than today because where you are sitting, where you're standing, where you're, you know, where you're walking through, you know, is an indication of your status in society. So I think none of none of what we see in the screen is uh, done without thinking. I, everything is intentional. Yes, yes. I totally, 200% agree. And I, I had exactly that, um, that impression when I, when I saw the film again, um, that nothing is left to chance. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yes. All these frames, yeah, all this choreography of, okay, you come in and so on and so on. It's just really so... Yeah, so carefully studied. And, um, well, we we have mentioned this, and you said it at the beginning. As a viewer of costume dramas or period films, we want to feel submerged in that time, yeah? And we don't want anything to look anything like modern. We want it to be as as uh, accurate as possible. And, and this, is, this is something very, very difficult to achieve if you don't... Uh, yeah, if you don't take it seriously and really do it as carefully as they have done this, yeah, that they don't really put any new elements and they don't improvise and say, okay, let's make it look like, you know, we can imagine that it looked like this. No, they try to make it as accurate as possible ah. um, to the times, to document these times. Yeah? And this is, this is part of the magic that you really feel like you're submerged ah. in those times. Ah, oh, yes, uh, yes, yes, yeah, they, they really, and you know how you can tell, uh, you can tell by, um, you can tell by the costumes, uh, the set design, which is mm-hmm. exquisite, exquisite, exquisite set design. Um, and I do have a few things that I want to add before we finish this section. Um, and I, I, another thing and um, is, you know, I think very important in this movie in particular is the uh, hairstyles. Why? Because one, you know, Pierce films, they, one of, part of their magic is that they're trying to capture a, t- a, a period of time. And like you said, to be a part of the magic is that they're accurate. Uh, nothing takes you out of the time. Uh, like it's true to the period. 
And in this movie, you can see the hairstyles are very much, you know, the, the period hairstyles. They didn't try to make their actresses look more modern, more sexy, which a lot of period films try to do. And it takes T you out of the period. Yes, with too much makeup, you know, or, yeah, exactly, totally. And um, again, to the settings, um, maybe, and maybe you can say something about it since you have seen it <laughs> without sound which i would really like to know why you did that um uh how he played perfectly how he portrays these differences in society through the settings yeah that we see in some scenes the huge beautiful um house of the dashwoods yeah all the splendor um a lot of sunlight yeah in those scenes uh? and then when you see the contrast of the country cottage where the dashwoods um, are supposed to move in and live afterwards um, they're a little bit settled down yeah there's a little bit the, the scenes a little bit foggier maybe a little bit cloudier it's all very minimalist yeah to kind of really make that contrast of these two classes in society more and more clear for the viewer yeah? and more obvious for the viewer so this cottage with very little furniture, very little color inside the house. There's very little decoration. Everything is either in white or gray. Um, the the path towards the front door of the house is just a yeah, just a dirt path. There's no stones or anything. And then you see the the contrast to the other houses, which of course are full of decoration and expensive objects yeah and he yeah. plays that he he they or they play with that a lot and i think how they said to, to make this differences very clear that the yeah, dashboards yeah. were not so well positioned in society anymore yeah anymore. i mean I, I, yeah i mean i mean they they lived in this extraordinary house it is so fair and the point is made like, and the, I think this is going to take us to the script. The point is made like right away that this is so unfair, so hugely unfair that house, their house, the house where they're living, uh, they have to move out because houses and property goes from father to son, not from father to daughter. So the son who's never lived there he inherits his house as he has to move in with his, with his wife whenever he pleases. Um, and is extremely sad. The, the mom, we see um, the mom, she's extremely distraught. She, she has not only lost her husband, her beloved husband, she has to pack her house and leave. Uh, it is, and, you know, and the point is made at different points, you know, in the dialogue, everywhere, how yes. unfair, unfair this is. But yeah, but we see, for example, in the, when they're still in the house, you know, they have this grand room where uh, Marianne, the Ken, Kate Winslet character is playing the piano and it's very beautiful and spacious. And in fact, we have this camera movement between the lower floor and the higher floor. Um, between characters, one looking up and down. So you can sense, you know, this is a grand house. And now they're going to this little cottage that's very small. I want to add something else before we move on to the script. Um, that, um, you know, these, this movie is full of feminine energy and feminine touches. This is a story about women. There are male characters. But this is a story about women 
and how women navigate society. And uh, there's a lot of talk about economics, you know, all, um, you know, how this impacts women because women could not work. They could not inherit property and they could not earn their living. This is something that the the character uh, 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 Eleanor says, we cannot even earn our living. Um, so this is, a, you know, there's a movie about women and the spaces, the spaces, we have talked about this before, you and I, the, 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 there's two kinds of spaces, uh, but mainly the spaces are feminine spaces. And, you know, um, and when they move to the cottage, it becomes an even more intimate feminine space just inhabited by women. And then later on, we see the men coming into these spaces and the dynamic that happens when the, the male characters come into the space is really like striking. Um, so I think, all this, I mean, the whole movie is just so wonderfully done uh, with all of these decisions. Yeah, it was so, clear, uh, so cleverly done. Yeah. So cleverly to, to, done. To exactly convey exactly this feeling, um, this feminine atmosphere, this feminine atmosphere, this dynamic, this relationship between the sisters and and which role they played in society and so on. It's all these elements that put you also in the time, yeah, that also show you which struggles they had to deal with as women and daughters and so on. Yeah. It's so cleverly done. But now, should we talk about this screenplay? Because I think one of the most exciting, beside, beside uh, Ang Lee, for me, the most exciting mm -hmm. thing about this movie is the fact that Emma Thompson, this extraordinary actress, wrote the, the script for this movie. Why, why do you think this is so special? Well, it wouldn't have been this film without the script. There is no film without a script. Mm. Yeah? So um, the fact that she wrote this is already kind of special because she wasn't an expert. This was her first attempt to write, a, to, to write an adapted screenplay. And also while researching, <laughs> I wow. saw a little interview of how she approached the screenplay writer of Howard's End which she had just recently worked with before yes. she started doing this. And she said, how do I do this? How do I adapt such a, such a big novel? It's a long, complex novel. And she got some tips from the screenplay writer from Howard's End. And I think this is, this is what made it so special for Emma Thompson, that she made such a dramatic... Usually, you know, there's a lot of drama in Jane Austen's uh, novels. All this, how women suffered and how they were delivered to the to the luck of marrying the right guy and so on and so on. So these kind of heavy, long, complex plots because there's always so many characters and so many intertwined families and so on that she made this huge, heavy, complex, long novel into a light, funny story, yeah? That she managed to keep all the really important elements that made this novel so, so special into a light and funny story, yeah? Yeah. I think, I think another thing that I, I, I read also while researching is that she really tried to simplify the language. 
um, without, you know, without taking it out of the period, you know, and I was, I was, you know, when I was watching it, it truly is, you really have like a sense of straightforwardness with the dialogues. And still, you feel very much in the period. You still feel very much in the novel, but uh, but 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 the but I think to make these characters much more relatable. Yes, uh, totally. I totally agree with that. Yes. Yeah, because they the I think what what separate us, you know, when we think of the past. We feel quite alienated, but I th- or we when we try to read old texts, and we we feel very alienated from the past because we cannot even understand how they speak. <laughs> but I, I, she makes all the characters feel very, very, yeah, very alive. Very alive. This is this is maybe the difficulty, you know, because you have very little dialogue in the books usually, and you have to create all the dialogues. And through the dialogues, then you give the characters more life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, this wittiness, this wittiness that she, that she managed to, 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 to convey with all these dialogues. Yeah. And they're so, they're, they're fa- fast paced, very dynamic uh, and very witty. Yeah. And this is what yeah. gives the hu- humorous tone uh, to the screenplay. Yeah, yeah, the movie is quite funny. I mean, there's a lot of funny moments in it. And, you know, these are like top, top actors. So it's like, it is so beautiful to see the little movement, everything. And, you know, it's just subtle um, here and there. But I, I have to say, you know, Jane Austen was a, you know, a, a very witty writer as well. So what, she, what, what Emma Thompson was like, she really pared down, like she really extracted the essence uh, of all the, you know, of all the, you know, the funny, the dramatic, the uh, into into something that people can can easily digest in this movie. Uh, I think she really honors the spirit of of Jane Austen uh, with the screenplay. Uh, uh, so, so if we talk about the the screenplay, you know, it's also how she wrote the characters too. So, should we talk about the main characters a little bit? Sure. Do you want? Do you want to start with? Should we start with Eleanor, the character <laughs> played by Emma Thompson? <laughs> let's start with Eleanor. Um, so Eleanor is the older sister of the Dashwood sisters. She is nineteen in the book, and it is played by Emma Thompson herself, who, by the time she made the film, is thirty-five years old. Hmm? It's an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting. Casting. Yeah, it's an interesting change because she makes Eleanor much more mature, and her situation as an unmarried woman much more urgent or uh, distressing in a way, right? Because 19 to 35, I mean, really, it's a, it's a big difference there. But um, I can say that Eleanor is my favorite character in this movie. She, what I, what I think, when I think of Eleanor, and I could be completely mistaken, obviously, this is all speculation, but when I see Eleanor as a character, I have the feeling of seeing a real 19th century woman. I can relate to her as a real life person. Where in many other movies, I, you know, the, the characters and motivations and, and actions of the characters 
female or, or masculine um, are sometimes quite uncomprehensible to me. It's like I can't, like I enjoy, but I can't understand why they're doing this or that. But Eleanor, she's somebody like, she's so clear to me. She's so, again, relatable. It's like I understand her. I understand her emotion, her motivation. She, I, I like I completely can see her as a, as a woman at the period. And I can understand that woman. And the difficulties of her period, of her time, uh, much more than in any other movie. And I think it's just both a testament of how she wrote her. She's a very, uh, obviously, she's the sense in the Mm -hmm. sense and sensibility. Eleanor plays the sense. She's the sensible uh, uh, person. She's the one who's running the house. She's the one finding a house, the rent. She's the one keeping the uh, books, the accounting. She's the one keeping the house running, comforting her mother. Uh, she's the eldest sister. She's the one who has to be proper. And she does this without any bitterness or resentment. She's, yes, she's very composed. A, she's a composed... Uh, she has humor. She's a... In, you know, you can see her intellect coming through, but also her down-to-earth uh, car- character. And I think, again, it's a testament to how she wrote it, but also how she's played by Emma Thompson. Uh, uh, wow. I, I, she's one of my favorite characters. I really love Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's interesting in it, in what you mentioned about her about the age of the character and her age as an actress. Okay? I could imagine, this is again also speculation, I could imagine that it is, of course, that way, way more clear uh, to differentiate between her character, Eleanor, and the middle daughter, Marianne, who's played by Kate Winslet, yeah? to make this age difference a little bit clearer, that she was the older and... Marianne was was the middle sister. Okay? Otherwise, if they had really picked up, a, I don't know, a twenty year old actress, maybe this 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 difference in age wouldn't have come through so so clear. Mm. And yes, and this and this maturity, this maturity of Emma Thompson as as a woman and as an actor, um, go along very well with Eleanor's position within the family. Yeah, what you say mm-hmm. that she was responsible for, to, to, of, of so many things within her family. I think. Um, it is only of an advantage if it is played by someone who has more more experience in life already. Yeah, it can give this sense of okay, I have, I, I I am not flying around through life, you know, trying to discover things. I, I am kind of become more settled because I am not eighteen anymore. Yeah, not only become she has to, she, she simply has to. has to, and that they just lost their dad. So yes. she becomes kind of the de facto head of the house after they love yes. her father, right? So she is not so much that she has to become, she 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 has no other choice. So Yeah, but yeah, she yeah. is sense. She is complete sense. She is uh, she struggles to show her feelings and her emotions, even though she has many. Um so she always tries to yeah, to play the the rational, the rational <laughs> one. <laughs> uh, between the two <laughs> two sisters, yeah. Uh, yeah. While Marianne Dashwood, her sister, uh, played by Kid Winslet, is obviously sensibility. She is just a volcano of passion and emotions. <laughs> <laughs> 
we were talking about volcanoes earlier, <laughs> but in a much different context. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about your impression of Kate Winslet, very young Kate Winslet, playing this role. Wow. Wow. So this is two years before Titanic. This is pre-Titanic Kate Winslet. So we, there's a, there, there will always be a before and after. Right? Oh, gosh. She's so... I mean, the, the thing with Kate Winslet is that she's also a very down-to-earth actress. She's also a very earthy. I will say even more earthy than uh, Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson still has a lot of, you know, she's more like a cerebral, still has more a cerebral vibe than Kate Winslet. But this is not the role she's playing here. Um, she's playing a romantic young girl who, you know, he's quite passionate. She wants more out of life. She wants to feel. She wants to feel. And the, the interesting thing about how Kate Winslet plays this is that she you take her seriously. She's not a silly girl. She's not because silly. Because she's, in, she's very intelligent, very well educated. Oh, yeah. She's well read. She plays piano. She's very mm -hmm. well educated. So she's not silly. She's not superfluous. She just wants a lot of feeling. She wants, she wants to feel things she, and she wants to be moved. And, and more importantly, she's not going to hide the fact that she's moved by things, yes. by love, by beauty, etc. Yes, it's very, yes, totally. She really um, expresses all her emotions and all her thoughts. She is not um, shy to really say or yeah, show what she really feels. Of course, in all the decency that she was um, brought up to keep within her society frames um but she is if she feels joy she shows joy yeah with her eyes with her smiles with her gesture with her voice how she giggles how she sings or approaches people yeah and there yeah, is a scene movement. where her movements yeah she's she kind of really compel herself just like yeah, Eleanor, she's full of emotions inside because Eleanor is going through a rough phase, one can say. Um, kind of brokenhearted and feeling deceptions through many things, yeah? And also the loss of her father, but she's very compelled and she's very composed. Com and she yeah, composed, yeah. She's very, she doesn't really show it, but Marianne is, is the opposite and she, she doesn't, she can really keep it inside. She shows it. There is one scene... Um, uh, in in a in a party that they went to uh, in London. So by this time, the love story of Marianne has already been shown. Yeah, this uh, this scene, as you mentioned in the beginning, that she's taking a hike and she falls and she twists her ankle and she is rescued by a man. Um, he really picks it because up. Her, you can see her, her, say her name, Mister Willoughby. This is Mr. Willoughby, exactly. I was just about to say. So she is being picked up from the ground because of her twisted ankle by a man who came on a white horse. And this is exactly John Willoughby. So by the time they meet again in this party in London, they have already met many times. She has completely fallen in love, head over heels, um, with Mr. Willoughby. And um, they have gone through little trips uh, on, a, yeah, you know, on the countryside, and they have, yeah, you know, 
talked a lot and so on. And then there's a break in her relationship and she doesn't hear from Mr. Willoughby for a while until this moment at this party. Yeah. So she sees Willoughby across the room and she rushes to him and she, she kinds of um, forgets where she is in. That she is in a very high society class ball with all the people being nice and tidy and, you know, proposed <laughs> and proper. Yeah. And she just walks very fast to him. And she also quicks in joy and says, Willoughby, you know, like, I haven't seen you in a long time. And good God, Willoughby, you know, and this is certainly not the behavior, not the reaction that any of the women in that room would have shown, you know, if they would have very, it would have walked very slow. <laughs> yeah. They would have done a little, you know, a little no, courtesy like and so yeah. on. And she was just like this joy that she felt for seeing him again. It didn't stop her for, from expressing it among all those people who were just very calm and tidy and proper, yeah? So this is Marianne. This is Marianne. She is, she's just a display of life and passion for love and beauty. Yeah. yeah? She's a spontaneous. Yes. She's a spontaneous and she doesn't think that, that there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. In fact, yes, she in, fact she, in fact, she thinks the opposite is... is, is, is is what it's is not wrong. Good. It's wrong. Like when you hide who you are, or you hide your emotions. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that so does, yeah. And she really doesn't care that much about what people might think of her behavior because she says, this is, this is right. How I am feeling and how I am expressing it. This is, <laughs> this yeah. is the right thing. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, for that scene is quite, that, that, that's a quite tough scene because by this time, uh, Willoughby has uh, found another woman and he essentially has cut off the, uh, the relationship. So this is a tough scene and, um, you know, it's very humiliating for Marianne uh, when she does that and he ignores her. Uh, so she also is very quick to show how distraught she is uh, by, yes. you know, he, he's like, oh, who are you? I mean, it's a pretty tough scene. And it's very tough, yeah. I cannot really imagine. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know uh, the price that you will have to pay in society for behaving in a non-proper uh, way. So I, I don't really know what the consequences will be for a woman who didn't behave um, as she was expected. In you know, I mean, she's accepted in society, but people will talk about her. I guess. They, they, yeah, behind they were her already. Back. They exactly. They were already whispering behind her back. Yeah. Yeah, whispering behind her back and so on. And, you know, and everything that happens to one person of the family, you know, affects the rest of the family. The rest it's, of the family. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's like the, if your sister behaves in that way, you know, you're going to, they're going to, they're going to criticize your mom and everybody else. But yeah, I think, I think we should, should move on to the two main um, uh, uh, male characters because they're quite important. So, or, or three, three, uh, three uh, male characters. So we have Edward Ferrer who's played by uh, Hugh Grant, and we have uh, Willoughby, uh, played by... Um, Greg Wise. Greg Wise. And we have uh, Colin Brandon, played by um, uh, Alan Rickman, the beautiful, amazing Alan Rickman. Rest yes. in peace. Rest in peace, Alan Rickman. So, 
I, I can say a word or two about Alan Rickman's uh, performance. And yeah. pl please be my guest and talk about Edward. Alan Rickman, um, he is great. I mean, he's a very, um, or he was a very expert and talented actor. Of course, plays this role wonderfully. The entire contrast of Marianne, you know, and he, how he is fascinated by this explosion of life and passion by Marianne because he is also very subdued. Um, he's a little bit older um, compared to Marianne and he has kind of a, a, a tough past behind him and so on. Um, and of course, we, when, when we know Alan Rickman, we love Alan Rickman. And at the same time, while re-watching this film now, many years after I saw it, and maybe this was one of the first times I saw Alan Rickman back then, yeah, playing a role in a film, now that I see it 20, 30 years later, I think Alan Rickman was being a lot, Alan Rickman. <laughs> so you see, you know, how he uses the tone of his voice and he speaks very yeah. low and slow. That, ha that became afterwards he, one of his trademarks. How he that you say okay this is Alan Rickman <laughs> so yeah wonderful wonderful um, performance and it's just somehow he, he belongs he belongs there yeah you know of all the casting as much as I love Alan Rickman and of course Alan Rickman went on to play um, Professor Snape in the Harry Potter series, among other films. I mean, he, yes. he, he is the main uh, character in, he plays the main character in a movie that I absolutely love, but I cannot watch because it's so hard to watch, which is called Truly, Madly, Deeply. So Alan Rickman was just a special kind of actor. He, he had a depth uh, that is quite unequal. And as much as I love him, uh, I mean, he plays the character of Colin and Brandon perfectly this is a dignified man a gentleman in every sense with a very sad past mm -hmm. so he has had a, a loss in his life so he and 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 he's just kind of like the the perfect gentleman uh he's decent he's well placed in society he's kind um well, well, well beautiful character but the only little trouble i have I guess this is in the novel there, is that Colonel Brandon falls in love with Marianne and there's an age difference. And again, this is my 21st century, uh, this is my 21st century perspective. Okay, classes, on, yeah. On, 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 on this relationship. And that's the only thing. But, um, of course, you know, it is, it is difficult for us uh, viewers to really imagine a love relationship between a, a character played by Alec Rickman in the age that he was, and the character played by Kate Winslet was being 19. So, of course, it is kind of, you know, hard to kind of say, okay, this is just feels really romantic. But at the same time, it is exactly what Jane Austen wanted to show, you know, that, that, yeah. that women had to choose right. And that Marianne, at the end of, of, of the day, she, she had to choose a decent gentleman who could take care of, of her, you know? And you, so I think and, it's and also, you and, and you feel the awkwardness, and you feel the awkwardness of the relationship, even though they really were fond of each other, because she knew that uh, Colin Brandon was a good man, and an educated man, and a loving man. 
you feel the awkwardness between both of them. At the beginning, right at the beginning, you feel the awkwardness. At the end, you know, I think they do make it believable. Uh, I mean, you're 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 supposed to believe that he tempers her, that he yes, that he tempers her a little bit, right? She that she's she's being she's a little bit calmer under his influence. Uh, but but the thing is, the thing is that she is truly loved by Colonel Brandon. But she's what we haven't loved, men- yeah. yeah, what we haven't mentioned here, and, and I think it's, it's just because this this is a story that everybody knows so well. We haven't really discussed like the plot very much detail. The thing is that uh, Marianne falls in love with John Willoughby in that scene that you described, she's like which is the classic romantic scene. In fact, I dreamed of that when I was young. I mean, that that was like my dream. So she, it's, there's a storm. She's walking. She's, you know, she's suffering so much. And she goes out in the rain. And then comes this man and rescues her when she falls. And she falls like head over heels, like you said, uh, uh, in love with John Willoughby. And like you said, he's played by Greg Weiss. And he's completely the opposite of uh, Colonel Brandon. Colonel Brandon. As played play by this actor, Greg Weiss. And I'm not very familiar with him. I've only seen Greg Weiss in this movie. I don't know him. And I've told you this before. <laughs> and I think he was cast perfectly. I don't trust his face. <laughs> Well, you are not supposed to trust him. Yeah, if if you've watched the film till the end, <laughs> you kind of then grasp. Okay, I was really not supposed to trust him entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he is so wow, gallant, and he brings her home, and you know they very like they very quickly develop develop like a quite intimate relationship where they're talking every day, and they. They're sitting very closely in the parlor. I mean, it's 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 quite it's quite quick. Like, yeah, uh, and and his face is so funny. I I I I do not, you know, and it's good. I guess it's perfect casting because it's, I think it's um, perfect casting exactly you because never... you're supposed to, yeah, you're not supposed to kind of see through him. Yeah, you never know his intentions. You really yeah, exactly. know his intentions uh, with Marianne are true. Like you, mm-hmm. you can never quite, you can never know. It's like you really don't know. Of course, yeah. in, if you are in the perspective of Marianne, she, she's incredible. She's crazy. I mean, she she sees nothing else. But Willoughby, I mean, uh, but as we as the viewers and uh, you know, even even in the pers- from the perspective of Eleanor, you cannot really read that this man. Like he's he's young, much younger than Colonel Brandon. He's handsome. Uh, he's handsome. He comes in a horse, speaks, you know, very physical. Yeah, we talk about we talk about, you know, when we had another discussion, we talked about how in that scene when he rescued her, uh, when she falls and he rescued her, he actually takes her shoe off and 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 says, I have to I have to uh check for bones and he actually dares to touch her foot. And I wonder, yes. I mean, this is like like the boundaries, boundaries. I mean, at that time. Yeah. And from that moment on, the entire relation was very physical, which was very unusual and which really matches both spirits. Yeah. And of course, what Marianne likes, as you mentioned, she was very earthy. She she needed to feel something. So it suited her very well how Willoughby treated her. 
What? Which is, uh, they were the same generation, so I guess they both, you know, fulfill the spirit of, of romance. They believe in showing their feelings, they believe in grand emotions, grand gestures, etc. Uh, as opposed to Edward Ferros. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Played by Hugh Grant. Oh yeah, God. so Edward Ferros is the is the yeah. The, yeah, love the, love of, the love interest of Eleanor. So please go ahead. Please go ahead and tell why us something do I, about Eleanor. Why, why do I always have to start? <laughs> oh my God. Oh well, gosh. Should I start? I, 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 okay, I can start. Hugh Grant is Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant is Hugh Grant today. And Hugh Grant is Hugh Grant in 1995. I don't care how many collars and cravats and stiff collars and whatever you put on. <laughs> He's still Hugh Grant. However, as you said earlier, Emma Thompson, the brilliant cerebral, incredible Emma Thompson, wrote the character of Edward Ferris with Hugh Grant in mind. So we must respect her choice and her vision and not only that she knows what she's doing Hugh Grant has a particular type of acting and humor that is ex like is the like is the definition of British humor yes <laughs> it's very subtle <laughs> self-deprecating uh at times clumsy but always gracious always you know a quick word Uh, very witty, so he's, he's and you know very proper, sh a little bit shy. So he truly is kind of that definition of that of that English humor that people admire so much and and love so much. So I think that's why. And to be honest with you, I I do love his portrayal of Edward. The problem is we're watching this movie now. We're watching we, this movie now. Yeah, we're watching it again, and 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 Hugh Grant is Hugh Grant. And to be honest with you, at the time, he was already a well-known actor. He had done a couple of period films, including Maudie's. Emma Thompson knew what kind of actor he was, and he wrote mm -hmm. because he knew he would bring that sensibility to the, mm -hmm. to the role. So Edward Ferrer is uh, a, a man of high position. He's the brother of Fanny, the wife of uh, John Ferrer, who inherited everything. And the reason why the Dashwood sister has to move. So he's in a tricky position. He could be the bad of, you know, he could be one of the bad ones in the movie, right? Because he's from the other family. But from the moment he comes in, he's so charming. He's so, he doesn't take himself seriously. And uh, there's a key scene where he comes in and the little sister, Margaret, she's been missing. She's been hiding. She doesn't want to show her face. Because, you know, the, the, the new people have come to take over the house and she doesn't want to meet them. She doesn't want to greet them. She's, I think, 12 or she's young. And he and Eleanor find a way for her to show up. Like they start to make this conversation and she's hiding under a table. Margaret is hiding under a table and they know that she loves an atlas and she has an atlas with her. So they start They, they have just met each other. Eleanor mm -hmm. and Edward have just met each other. And they both, without 
saying anything, they start to make up this conversation about the Nile and where it's located and being wrong in purpose on purpose. They are they're saying, oh, it comes from, you know, it's in Belgium and so on, so that Margaret can get enraged and come out of the table under the table. So very quickly they connect in that way. So he's very kind, he's very thoughtful. You know, he's actually very sensitive. That's very sensitive. But at, at the same time, of, of course, he's a very sensitive spirit, yeah? But he is, from, from the behavior, he is very similar to Eleanor in the, in the fact that he's very composed himself, you know? That he doesn't really dare to, to, to tell his mother, for example, that he actually doesn't want a serious job, that she actually would be very happy to have a more humble life in the countryside. And he doesn't really dare to do that. Like maybe someone like Marianne would have done, you know? Uh-huh. So that's maybe this, 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 um, this similarity between the, the two personalities of Eleanor and Edward, of course, yeah. makes them fall for each other. Yeah. That they kind of see life uh, with a similar a similar view mm-hmm. and they're, they uh, they have also a similar struggle you know because he is trying to kind of okay he's supposed to the, the expectation that they have on him and he actually doesn't really want to and Eleanor herself you know she, she has all the responsibility of Mary and so on and she actually also kind of keep up and might also end up empty-handed you know so they have they, they share a certain struggle um the shares of the struggle and a certain similarity in personality. So you I are think so this right. Is so they match very well. I have to say, this is why I let you talk first about Edward and Hugrin. That I am, of course, super biased today. I should have maybe should have maybe done this podcast in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> because of course, I really love Hugrin. I mean, from the time he had his, you know his breakthrough back then with all these films and yeah of course he plays the charming clumsy but loving super romantic guy and he did this here again but as you said I have to of course be fair enough to say if Emma Thompson chose him for this character she really did want this exactly this style of Hugh Grant to come through so I'm a, I, ha- I am biased but I really have to um, put my pies <laughs> aside. <laughs> aside. Um, aside, because yeah, I, of course, I see a lot of Hugh Grant in Edward. Um, and maybe to wrap it up about the characters and the cast, I have to admit that I had a struggle, even though everything in the in, individually they're all so perfect, how they perform, how the characters are, and how they are as an actor, and so on, and so on. I had, of course, uh, my struggle to see. Eleanor and Edward as a as a romantic couple, you know, because of course I am seeing Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant as a as a romantic couple, and I don't see them really. I can't really feel as a viewer that you know that you fall for the romantic story. As I said, in the entire setting and how the characters and how the dialogues are done and how they talk to each other, yeah, this exchange about their about their yeah about their you know. Yeah, about the struggles, you know. He says, I would actually, 
I would be happy with a parish and I don't want to be a big lawyer or go to military. Yeah. And, and how she talks, yeah, at least you have kind of a choice, even though it's not the best, but I have no choice. Yeah. So all super witty, intellectual, super dialogues. But, you know, I have a struggle to see them really, you know, like a romantic couple kissing, Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant kissing. I don't know. As a viewer, it's kind of difficult. So I have my struggles with the relationship. Yeah, that is very interesting. That is really interesting because individually, like you said, the characters are wonderfully created, like wonderfully developed. Like I can't, I can't stop thinking about how Hugh Grant wears the costume, the period costumes. Like he's very stiff and he's mm-hmm. very like, uh, he, like he has this habit of holding the, the sleeves, which is like a very childish. Yes. Uh, kind of gesture and he does this all the time and i'm sure he's pretty conscious uh like Mm -hmm. he's kind of like not fully comfortable in these clothes that he has to wear he much rather be in the countryside with much you know less formal clothes Mm -hmm. so he has a lot of little details and uh little gestures that show that he's not really fully comfortable with the position he has in society and the expectations he has on him but it's true it's true it's the the yeah i i kind of have to agree with you that his heart is like the the love like the love relationship like the friendship is very relatable the friendship is relatable completely like that, that is maybe the key. Yeah. yeah, the it's friendship a, yeah, is very believable. The friendship is really believable. But, the, but, the, but the, the love, perhaps the passion. However, they're supposed to be not very passionate. So, you know, I do believe they love each other. I do believe they respect each other very much, but I mm-hmm. cannot imagine anything uh, in the bedroom. <laughs> the apartment. Any passion. Yeah. Any passion, so, yeah. I know that we, we're running a little long, but I want to talk about one last relationship that I think is very important in this movie, more so than the romantic relationships. Can I do that? Yes, please. This is a, mo- this is a, a novel and, of course, a movie about three sisters. I think the, most impo- I think the true love story in this movie is between these two sisters and you know they're and of course little margaret but i think they're older they they share a lot of things i think the true love story the story that is the the relationship that is that you like you can see the respect and the deep need for each other and, and love uh, and consideration and admiration is between these two sisters and I think these two actresses really really play this well and for me this is the love story of the the most important love story of the movie totally totally and um, maybe here again the difference of age uh, comes again as an advantage you know to have this the older sister kind of protecting the younger sister and the youngest sister trying to give the bigger sister this, this uh, feel for life, you know? And absolutely, Nini, it is a wonderful, it is a wonderful dynamic between two, the two actors, actresses. And yes, maybe, maybe this is the <laughs> relationship that um, is the core of the entire story. Yeah, and how they, how they, how do you say, um, yeah, so match, kind of match each other, yeah, what, what uh, Eleanor is missing in, in passion, Marianne tries to give her, and what 
and, and uh, the other way around, what Marion is lacking in rationality, Eleanor tries to give her, you know, tries yeah. to kind they of... Co yeah, they complement each other. They complement each other. Thank they, you. That they, was what I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, they, they both complement and complete each other. Each um, other, yes. Yeah, it, it is really beautiful. And in this case, I have to say I'm biased because my relationship with my sisters, as we can see here, is extremely important and the, some of, like my relationship with my siblings um, is the most important in my life uh, I'm married I have kids but I can you know my siblings are truly uh, uh, <laughs> the best part of my life you know <laughs> how can I say I mean so I any any relationship between sisters um, I'm quite um, I'm quite moved and this is a beautiful portrayal of, of sisterly love and and you know for me that's uh, that's something that's really special every time I see it uh, and it really moved me Totally. So maybe this is a good hint to start talking about our favorite scenes, because I know that your favorite scene, or one of them, includes Eleanor and Marianne. Yes. Yeah. So we, we, we have to talk about favorite things. And there's a lot of beautiful scenes in this movie. There's like fields and horses and sheep and, and little parlors and teas and all the classic uh, settings for period films, all of that. But my favorite, favorite things is not the most classic period film scene. It's a scene where Marianne, because she went out for a walk in the rain after being left by a from after being left by Willoughby, and she gets really, really ill, uh, and she's in bed, and you know they fear for her life. Uh, she has a terrible fever, and the doctor has said, well, let's just hope for the best. Um, that's a scene where um, there's only Marianne in bed, unconscious, and uh, Eleanor in the room, you know, keeping her company during the night. And this is a very striking scene because Ang Lee goes and uh, takes his camera, and he places the camera above the bed so you have like a uh, bird's eye view. view so you see from above and you see the bedroom and Eleanor is just uh, kneeling by the bed and she holds Marianne's hand and she says Marianne Marianne try try please I guess she's begging her to leave mm. uh, and she's absolutely terrified she's absolutely terrified that Marianne will die and will leave her alone. Uh, she is the life. She is the happiness mm -hmm. to her mm -hmm. rationality. She, mm -hmm. she loses Marianne. She loses everything that's beautiful, everything that's light. Yes. She loses the beauty. She loses the art. She loses the romance, yes. the poetry in her life, her companion. Um, and for me, that scene where we see them connect, I mean, basically... Eleanor is always very composed. We don't know her mm -hmm. feelings. She's always trying mm -hmm. to you know, don't show them. Mm -hmm. Here she is completely honest. She's begging yes. her sister, please stay, please stay. That stay is alive. my it's a hard scene to watch, but it's so well done. It's um, so well done. It's yes. my favorite scene. It's the most striking scene. I really love because it's a key scene where it shows the love between the sisters. Yes. Absolutely, Nene. And one of the few scenes where we see Eleanor showing emotions, yeah? Because 
there are few moments, but rare moments. Absolutely, Lenny. And apart from the fact that it is so moving, this is really so moving, with all these, you know, superficial kind of relationships and all these balls and intrigues and so on, so on, so on, this scene gives um, the story kind of like a serious moment, you know? This is like, okay, it is not all about, you know, who marries whom and so on. And are we poor or are we rich? This scene puts a lot of depth, again, like... Keeps, brings you back to kind of okay. This is the important thing in life. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite scene? Yeah, this is funny because one of one of my favorite scenes, of course, apart from all the beauty <laughs> that we see here, my one of my favorite scenes is pretty much at the end when um, Edward Ferrers, Grant, comes to their house to say that he is actually not married, as they assumed, um, but that he kind of proposes to Eleanor. You know, but by, by, by this time, Eleanor was also kind of disappointed because she had heard that Edward had um, had an engagement and with another woman, and he wanted to fulfill or to to yeah to accomplish this um, to this promise that he had made many years ago, and she is left with these rumors that he was engaged to this woman and that he will marry this woman, and she doesn't hear from him for a while until he comes by and visits the Dashwood sisters and their mother in their house. So he comes in, and, and I know you like this scene because this is Edward Ferris uh, slash Hugh Grant at his best. <laughs> how he tries to <laughs> how he tries to tell them and inform them that no, he, he didn't marry at the end. He broke this engagement with, with the other woman and that it's actually his brother who married and so on and so on, and that he kind of wants to say something really important, and he is very shy and very clumsy in his movements. <laughs> <laughs> and he stands by the fireplace, and he tries to make it very casual how he plays with a little porcelain figure, um, just to you know, kind of avoid to look at them, to look into the eyes of Dashwood mother or Eleanor and so on. So he distracts himself playing with this porcelain figure. So in this scene, he then turns around and says to Eleanor, Eleanor, I am here because actually my friendship to you is more important and I wanted to tell you. And then she starts sobbing. Um, and he tells her uh, finally <laughs> that he actually loves her and will always love her. So in this moment, uh, Eleanor starts crying. She finally releases all the tension, all the fears, all the disappointment that she had inside and all this, yeah, all this heartbrokenness, <laughs> brokenness that she had in her, inside, she finally releases it all and just starts crying and she just lets it all out. And I felt so fascinated by this, again, because it is one of the few moments where Elena really shows her emotions and is really a human. <laughs> you know, she's really <laughs> showing, okay, woman, show your feelings. Um, because I thought to myself, this is so interesting. She, this is, I, I am thinking, of course, to myself, okay, I, I am in 2021 and I wouldn't have been maybe so, I wouldn't cry like a baby if, some, if a man comes here and says, okay, I, now I can finally marry you, you know. But transported to 18-something, and you're poor, and you have the perspective of spending your life alone in a rather foggy cottage, um, 
just taking care of your household uh, or the perspective of marrying someone, having a life, having kids and, you know, living life because there were no many options for women. This, this relief that she as a woman felt, apart from the love that she felt for Edward, the relief of her as a woman to have a choice, to, to, to have, yeah, to have the opportunity, not the choice, the opportunity because it was not a choice that she had to make, you know? No. She no. was not left with a choice. That she had finally the opportunity. He is here, he, and he loves me, and on top of that, I can marry and leave my house. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a great scene. And it's play for comedy. It, it, it is, it, part of it, it is play comedy for comedy. Elements. Yes. Yeah, it, it, part of it is play for for comedy, especially in the performance of Hugh Grant and how he plays with them. With them. <laughs> I, I, I urge you, I urge everybody who's listening to this podcast, please watch this movie again and just pay attention to that scene. Uh, it's quite funny. Um, yeah, it's play a little bit for comedy, both you know, supreme actors, I mean, amazing. Um, yeah, I think her relief also comes from she, like you said, she had accumulated all of this for months and months and months. I mean, even the death of her dad, I think she's finally crying for that as well. I mean, she had to assume responsibility and take care of the house and the moving and all of that stuff uh, in the middle of her grief. So I think she's yes. she's she's crying for her dad as well. Finally, she can yeah, for everything. She can yes. let go. She can let go. I mean, I mean, we we. We always talk about, uh, well, in other in other discussions, you know, the a marriage of equals or unequals, and this movie, and you know, obviously the money wise, this is not a union of equals, uh, but in in the you know the how they view the world, uh, and how they move around in the world, uh, it is a marriage of equals in terms yes. of personality, and yes, I think what you said is so true. Like, yeah, it might seem silly. You know, it might it, seem it, silly, exactly. It might seem in the silly moment, how she, it might seem the silly. Moment, like, why is she might... crying? I mean, I'm crying, crying like a little kid. She's crying so much. <laughs> she's crying. Okay, again, it's play for a little bit, right? Um, but she's weeping, like she's sobbing, and she's like, oh, oh I can't believe it. Um, but it's true. The, the choices were stark. Like, one choice was stark, like, you want to be uh, an old maid and you're going to take care of this house and, you know, the few pleasures that you might have will be, you know, reading books and who knows, taking care of your mom. And the other one is, you know, all these other possible joys, which is having children, companionship, uh, mm -hmm. conversations, you know, it's like, it's quite, quite, quite different. Uh, yeah, so you can see the relief that life you know, she has, a, she has a chance at life. She has a chance in life. Yeah, because as I said, but, it was but, not really a choice. It was, really, it was an option, kind of. Yeah, okay? but so not either only, you find someone to marry or you, you know, you stay at home forever. Yeah, yeah. and not only a chance at life, but at, at, at our life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Gonna, yeah, the, and the possibility that that brings. And that's played out really, really well. Um, I think so too. Yeah. And even though, yeah. as, yes, even though, as you say, it might be thought of, you know, to be kind of comedian, yeah. I took it, I took it seriously. <laughs> no, <laughs> because exactly, it, because exactly, they, they make it look as like, you say, okay, she's really crying like a little kid, you know, she's really crying like a, um, you know, I don't know. 
But then I thought to myself, okay, if I put myself into a position, what goes through her mind when he says this? <laughs> Everything that is changing just by him saying, not only that I love you, that I am open for marriage, you know, like because I am not yeah. married. So, yeah, and, and yeah, it it is great. It is great. I mean, I mean, this, this movie is um, now that we can start to wrap it up. This movie is quite. Um, I. Again, I say it's the most classic of classic period films, a Jane Austen adaptation, but, you know, a really beloved uh, adaptation. I really love this movie. And every time, it's like, a, it's like a comfort food for me. It's like a comfort, like a, like a super warm blanket uh, that I can put on a Sunday evening, right? Like, oh, like a cozy blanket. Um, such a... Uh, perfect movie in every <laughs> yes. way so how many wicks and candles would you give this film yeah so our our, our we our scale is uh from one to ten one being not good ten being very good um I've been thinking a lot about the rating for this movie because again I said this I said I just said it's like a cozy blanket uh, in terms of costume, setting, script, acting, uh, directing, it's just a joy to behold in every possible way. It's like this is a little jewel of period movies. Um, but after a discussion, I thought I can't give it... T- I mean, this movie deserves a 10. It's a classic. It's a classic. And technically, you know, if we, if we oh. take everything individually for itself, you know, as, as, oh, as you yeah. mentioned, the settings, the production, the directing, the acting, yes. the scripting, etc. So each yeah. element deserves a 10. It deserves a 10, but my rating is going to be nine and a half. Why? Because of those relationships that we were talking about. That they're not fully believable in a way. It's like it's like you. It's like theater in a way, where you have to. Um, what is the phrase they say? You have to suspend your disbelief <laughs> a little bit, like in theater. You know, you know, it's theater, and you know that they're making believe, right? They're moving the sets around, and you have to suspend your disbelief even more so than in a movie because the movie is very. You know, they try to make it very realistic, but I think. This movie kind of like you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit in terms of the of the love matches and you know between the characters and the, the actors they chose. So that's why I'm giving it nine and a half, but only a ten. And Emma yeah, Thompson and I give Emma Thompson like a like a fifteen. The the speech. Academy the Academy Awards jurors should listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we should give Angli a 10. Um, yes. I agree. I agree. And this is why I also give the film a 9. A 9. Because I, I because when I watch it, it's, it's a feast for the eyes. And since we love all this, since we search Anglophiles, this film gives us, feeds our thirst and our hunger for all these cliches and all these things that we love you know porcelain and rooms and dresses and everything we love yeah and hills and countryside and so on so on so on so it is a feast for the eye and for the soul if you are an anglophile and if you like period films but again this emotional p- part of the of, of the story that 
I, as a woman or as a viewer or whatever, you know, of course, I, I find it beautiful, but I cannot really identify with the love relationships, you know. If I see at the end of the film, Marianne and, and Colin Brandon, so Kate Winslet and Alan Rickman coming out of the church as a couple, I feel to myself like, ooh, okay, this, <laughs> <laughs> this looks kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, yeah. So this is why um, I give it a nine. Wow. Thank you, Gabby. I, I, I had so much fun talking about this movie with you. Yeah, the same to me. And to review it is like to watch it again. <laughs> and that's our episode. Thank you very much for listening and stay tuned. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Books and Candles is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So go ahead and subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Wigs and Candles. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Wigs and Candles is written, hosted and produced by Andreina Romero and Gabriela Morken Romero. The image design is by Pamela Rollin. The podcast theme music is the Concerto for Two Violins in D Minor by Johann Sebastian Bach.